that you are the God who knows everything about us, who loves us and has good plans for us. And as part of that, you have plans to take care of our our greatest need. So help us as we look into your word today. Would you please fill us with the Holy Spirit to help us see your wonderful plan? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to think about, this is an opening illustration here, I want you to think about somebody who is really good at one thing, but then kind of switched and tried to do another thing. Okay, so you could think about an actress who tries to become a singer, or you could think about a, a businessman who tries to become president, like that would ever happen, right? Um, or the one I was thinking about was an athlete who's good at one sport, but then decides to switch to another sport. And, and the person that I thought about there was Tim Tebow. So Tim Tebow had a very successful college football career. He won the Heisman Award, uh, just prolific career there at Florida. Went to the NFL, had actually a decent amount of success there, but then just uh, couldn't find a job there. Uh, so he decided that he was going to switch careers and try to become a baseball player. So we've got uh, Tim Tebow, the baseball player, up here now. And immediately, do you remember this? Even before he picked up a bat, the critics were just all over him. The critics were like, oh, come on. Just because you were pretty decent at football doesn't mean that you can just pick up a bat and be good at baseball. And, And they had a heyday with him, like I said, even before he picked up a bat. So Tim Tebow made it to the minor leagues. He's been playing there all year. He hasn't done great by any stretch of the imagination, but but neither has he embarrassed himself. But the point I wanted to make here is that there were people, and have you noticed in our society today, there's a critic for just about everything. There there are people that would (laughs) tell you that you can't do anything that you want to do, basically. Well, in the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, Jesus had already been gaining fame as somebody who could heal people. And you can imagine, as such, that Jesus was gaining quite uh, a large following. People were curious about what he was doing. But in our passage today, Jesus changed things up a little bit. Some people, like I said earlier, brought to him another person in need of healing. This time it was a paralytic. But Jesus didn't just address this man's physical need. In fact, the very first words that we hear from Jesus' lips in our passage today are, Take heart. Son, your sins are forgiven. And when he said that, some people were really upset. The critics came right out. You can almost hear them saying, okay, Jesus, we get it. You're a really powerful physical healer, but come on. Don't pretend that you can heal people's souls as well. So a key question that I want you to keep in mind as we're looking at our passage today is, what kind of authority does Jesus have? What kind of authority does Jesus have? We're in a sermon series here where we're walking through Matthew 8 through 9. And in this sermon series, we learn really important things about Jesus. We've seen over and over again his great compassion for people, and we'll see that again today. We've also seen Jesus' authority, his authority so far to heal. But how far does that authority extend? And then the other theme that we've been looking at in this series is the theme of following Jesus. So the question we're going to ask today is, what kind of response should we give to Jesus? We'll see two different kinds of responses in our passage, and we need to think about how we will respond as well. Because I think one of the main, main points of Matthew 8 through 9 is not just that we would see the powerful things that Jesus did, but that we would put ourselves in the shoes of the people who were there, or even better yet, put ourselves in our shoes today, and ask the question, what does it mean for us to follow him? We've seen who Jesus is, 
how are we going to live our lives in light of that? And here's the cool thing, that, and this is for the, the entire sermon series we've been doing, and it's really for any time we study the Bible. W- when we look at who God is, when we humble our hearts before him to follow him, we will see God do his work in our hearts. So the things that we're going to learn about Jesus today are things that are meant to to urge us to follow him more closely. And as we follow him, God will change our hearts. So we're going to read a story today about two different kinds of healing. It's in Matthew 9, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Now his own town, just a note here, it's probably Capernaum, where he had kind of set up home base. Verse 2, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. So we're again going to use the same three-point outline that we've been using in this sermon series. Next week I think it's going to be different, so for those of you that are getting tired of it, you can look ahead to that. But uh, for today we're going to stick with this same one, where point one is compassion. Now, obviously we'll see the compassion of Jesus, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first I just want to start off with the compassion of the friends of the paralytic. And I like this because it stands to me in stark contrast to the lack of compassion we saw last Sunday. Do you remember the story last Sunday where there were two men who were possessed by demons and the people of the town kicked them out of their town. And you can understand why. Let's, let's not be too hard on them for that. They were violent men. They didn't want them living in the town. But even after those two men were healed by Jesus, the demons were sent out of them and they were in, the, the two men were in their right mind, the, the townspeople, still their response when they saw Jesus who had compassion on them, their response was to, to kick Jesus out. It looks like all throughout that story that those townspeople were just thinking about themselves and their own interests. And that is not a path to compassion. But here in our story today, we see these friends. They heard that Jesus was coming and lots and lots of people wanted to go to Jesus. So you, in fact, in one of the other Gospels, it says there was such a large, cr- large crowd that they couldn't get to Jesus. They had to lower him through the roof, it says in that story. But but these men, instead of thinking about their own desires just to go and see Jesus, or or maybe they had something else that they wanted Jesus to help them with, but instead of thinking about their needs, they took their friend, this paralytic man, to Jesus to get him the help that he needed. And I, I love that picture of compassion, thinking about the needs of others. So I just want you to stop by way of application here and ask yourself the question, are you someone who helps others? As I've said throughout this sermon series, it can be easy for us to look at the needs of others and come up with a reason not to help. Is that what you do? Or are you a person who is glad to help? Or or maybe, and and this is maybe the way that I am sometimes, um, maybe I choose to help, but I'm not always glad to help. Anybody ever been with me in that boat? And and what I would just like to say to you is that the heart of God is, is to help people who are in need. So whether you're not very good at helping people in need or whether your heart isn't in it, I want you to to follow Jesus and to let God transform your heart. And 
And maybe the next time you see a need, you'll be right there and ready to meet it, and God will give you joy as you do it. And one thing I like about this story here is that it wasn't just compassion, because Jesus also called it faith. Do you notice that? When, when Jesus saw their faith. So they were showing compassion, but in the eyes of Jesus, it was faith. So again, by application, one of the ways that we can show our faith is to have compassion on other people. So that's the compassion that we learn about from these friends. But then also we see the compassion of Jesus. And, and here it is again, story after story in Matthew 8 through 9 about Jesus helping. I was talking with some pastors uh, recently. Or it was in, uh, maybe it was in the college ministry. That, that's where it was. We were talking about the question, why did Jesus come to earth? Now there's all sorts of answers that we could give to that question. But one of them is that Jesus came to show the compassion of God. God is a God of compassion, and Jesus came to show that to us. Many, many times in the Old Testament, God is mentioned as a God of compassion. And then Jesus came and showed it to us. Multiple times during his ministry. We see it clearly here in this passage, where at the end of verse 6, he told the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and, whoop, got ahead of ourselves there. Get up, take your mat, and go home. And in verse 7, that's what the man did. Can you imagine what a relief that must have been for that man to finally be able to walk again? So Jesus saw him in need. Jesus helped him. That's compassion. So again, are you a compassionate person? And again, if your answer to that question is no, I just want to urge you to go to God and ask him for that kind of compassion. To ask that God would transform you into somebody who is glad to help. And then uh, let me make, make one quick note about how this healing happened. Like I already mentioned in verse 2, it says that Jesus saw their faith. That is the faith of the friends. And, and when he saw their faith, that's when the healing came. And oftentimes in the Bible, faith is linked to healing. But that leads to an interesting question. And that's, I've been trying to think about the questions that might come up as we go through these passages. And the question that comes up today is going to be our side trip for today. It's this question. What about people who have faith yet don't receive healing? We've probably all known people in that boat, right? People who are sincere Christians and they get sick and they don't get better. What's the deal with that? Well, I think the important part and really the, my main answer to that question today is that this all needs to happen according to the will of God. If it's God's will that you would be healed, then you can ask him by faith and you will be healed. But if it's God's will that you would endure that difficulty by faith while not receiving healing, then, then that's how we need to live our lives in, in light of that truth of God's will. So the, the key part here becomes discerning God's will. And it's not always easy to discern God's will, right? We, we don't always get that audible voice from heaven. We, I've never gotten an audible voice from heaven. We don't always, always know what God's will is so we, we keep seeking him, trying to figure out what God's will is. Uh, but if we do have to suffer, let's remember that we're not alone. In fact, I mentioned this last week. I'll just mention two of them real quickly. People in the Bible who suffered and, and didn't get their healing. One of them was Jesus. He asked if God would take away his, his trip to the cross 
But then he said, not my will, but yours be done. And it was God's will that Jesus would endure the cross, and he endured it by faith, and it gave glory to God. So if we are people who have to suffer in our sickness and even die, may we do it by faith, because we'll be in really good company if we endure our difficulties with that kind of faith. And then second, there was the Apostle Paul who had a thorn in his flesh. Three times he asked God to take it away, and God didn't take it away. Paul learned that he could give glory to God even in his weakness. So he rejoiced in the fact that that God didn't take away that difficulty for him. So again, that's a great lesson of faith for us. If there's a difficulty in your life, we can rejoice in who God is. And, and, And Kirsten was a good example of that for us today. You can rejoice even if God doesn't take away your disability. And then let me mention one other case of a guy who didn't receive healing. This is one of those verses that you've probably just scanned over and maybe never thought about. It's actually half a verse. The Apostle Paul is, is finishing up one of his letters and he's kind of giving those, you know, he's telling about all the people. And here's what he says in, in 2 Timothy 4.20. And I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Okay. Big deal. What's the deal? Well, think about this. What, what was Paul doing? He was a missionary. He was going around from place to place telling people about Jesus. Did Paul do that by himself? No. We know he had lots and lots of people with him and we know from uh, two other verses in the Bible that Trophimus was one of these guys who traveled around with Paul telling people about Jesus. We also know that the Apostle Paul had the gift of healing. There are stories in the Bible where Paul was able to heal people. So why did Paul leave his co-worker sick in Miletus? Why didn't he heal him? Well, part of the answer is, I don't know. (coughs) But, maybe God had something for Trophimus to do in Miletus. Maybe this was a test of faith for Trophimus. But whatever it was, um, this is a good pattern for us that God doesn't always heal us of our sickness here on earth. It is interesting, though, because remember that verse where Jesus told us that if we have faith and don't doubt, that we can tell a mountain to be thrown into the sea and it it will go? So how does that work with a case like Trophimus or with something that somebody that we know or even ourselves when we've asked and asked for God to do something? Well, we can be confident that God will hear our prayers when we pray according uh, according to faith. And again, if we pray according to faith, even a mountain can be moved. But what does faith mean? Faith means following God and submitting to His will. And that's again where we don't always know what God's will is for our lives. But as we seek Him and trust Him, we can learn it. Paul learned it, that God's will was that the thorn in the flesh wouldn't be taken away. And maybe that's God's answer for you. Or for your friend who's sick. The key part for us is that we would keep seeking God's will. And again, we don't always know what that is, but as we follow Jesus, we learn his will. And that's the important part, that that we would be ready to follow God in whatever he has for us. And again, maybe God's will is that you would be healed. Maybe God's will is that you would give him glory in what he allows you to go through. Whatever it is, though, let's, let's keep walking by faith. Let's move on to our second point of the day. Authority. Now, I was trying to think of a sermon illustration here of a time when somebody didn't have authority to do something, but they thought they did, and they did it anyways. 
so think about a time in your life maybe. I was, the, the story that I came up from my life was when I was in elementary school. I had an older brother and uh, we were old enough to be left at home after school. So my mom had gotten a job and uh, there would be about an hour and a half or two hours when my brother and I would be at home without our parents. And uh, we kind of thought we had the run of the place. And I remember one day I had a friend over, and uh, we were playing, and we got thirsty. So we went to the fridge. Hey, look, there's pop in there. Great, let's have a pop. Okay, so we play again. We get thirsty again. Hey, we know there's pop in the fridge. We go and get another one. I don't know how many cans of pop my friend and I shared that day, but uh, it led to a conversation when my parents got home about how much authority I had to go into the fridge and do whatever I wanted to do. And it turns out I didn't have as much authority as I thought I did. So, um, In my understanding, the key question in our passage today is, does Jesus have the authority to forgive sins? So we're looking at his authority, and we're looking at it specifically in regard to forgiveness. Now, as I've already mentioned, Jesus had shown his power a bunch of times in Matthew 8. He had healed people from leprosy. Uh, He had cast demons out of people. He had healed a woman from a fever. Uh, He had calmed a storm. He was doing all sorts of powerful things. He had already healed a paralytic before. So if Jesus had just healed the paralytic here in this story again, probably nobody would have batted an eyebrow. But when Jesus claimed to have the authority to forgive sins, that's when these teachers of the law piped up and accused Jesus of blasphemy. Now, blasphemy, we often think about that as misusing God's name, but but here blasphemy was to claim to be able to do something that only God could do. So here were the critics. Remember, I mentioned those critics. Jesus had already had this successful career of healing, but when he shifted things a little bit and talked about forgiving sins, the critics were right there, and you can kind of hear them saying, hey, Jesus, wait a minute here, only God can do that. Now, who were these teachers of the law? They were people who were supposed to know God's word and to remind people of it. So they actually had an important role of of theology, of combating heresy, of making sure that truth was embraced and, and that false teaching was exposed for what it was. As handlers of God's word, they, were, they, were, they had an important job to be able to look at God's word and to look at the situations of their day and, and make the connections. But they missed something here. You see, the Old Testament shows us the connection between healing and forgiveness. I want to show you a couple of verses. In Second Chronicles 7.14, the Lord said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Forgiveness and healing together. There's another verse, Psalm 103, verses 2 through 3. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So you see, there's a connection between sin, on the one hand, and sickness and death on the other hand. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve first sinned, the punishment was death. And that's where sickness comes from. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that if you ever get a fever or something worse, that it's because you sinned individually. I I think it's more of a, in general, sort of a statement that all of our sickness and death comes from sin as a human race. The theologian Grant Osborne said, sin is the origin of all sickness and suffering. And it won't be like that in heaven, but that's the way it is now. 
So when Jesus came with the clear ability to heal physical sickness, it should have been an indicator that he also had the ability to forgive. And that's one of the really important developments in our passage today. Jesus isn't just a healer. He's also the one who can bring forgiveness of sins. But it's interesting how it happened, isn't it? The the paralytic is brought to Jesus, and obviously the request is, heal him, just like you've healed all those other people, heal him. But what does Jesus say? He says to him, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus knew right away what the critics were thinking. Hey, Jesus, you can't do that. But he called those thoughts evil thoughts in verse 4. And then, in verse 5, he said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? So let's answer that question. Which one is easier to say? He, He didn't say, which one is easier to do? He said, which one is easier to say? And which one is it? It's a lot easier to say, your sins are forgiven, because... Nobody could prove whether it happened or not. At least not until we died. Any charlatan could go around and say, your sins are forgiven. Really? Wow, great. Are are they really? How would we know? How would we know unless there was some other sign of authority? Well, that's what Jesus was doing here. That's why in verse 6 he turned to the paralytic and said, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And we saw that that's what he did. (coughs) Jesus had the authority to heal and to forgive. Now, as I read Matthew 8 through 9, I see things moving from the less important to the more important. The less important would be the physical healing. The more important would be the spiritual healing. And and again, Kirsten, this is where you did a good job of reminding us of which one is more important. If, If you had to pick either eternal life or getting healed from your disability, you'd pick eternal life, wouldn't you? Yep. So Jesus is here doing what is more important. And the physical healings are meant to show the authority of Jesus. The physical healings are meant to remind us that he has the power to forgive sins. This passage today looks forward to the cross where we see that Jesus did everything that was necessary for us to be spiritually forgiven and cleansed. And by the way, there was proof in that as well. The the proof of Jesus' ability to forgive our sins was shown when he rose from the dead and there were lots and lots of people who saw him alive after he had died. Uh, We covered that uh, a month or two ago when we went through that uh, resurrection sermon here. It's in my book as well. But uh, the resurrection of Jesus stands as proof of the authority of Jesus to forgive our sins. And our passage today then shows the, the precedence of spiritual healing over physical healing. And we'll get back to that point in just a moment. But for now, I want to address the authority of Jesus. And I want to do it in light of the attacks from his critics. So these these teachers of the law, they thought that they had the authority to accuse Jesus of blasphemy. They stood over him as as his teacher. That's what they thought they were. They didn't realize how much authority Jesus has. So how much authority does Jesus have? The, The end of Matthew tells us, Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That's Matthew 28, 18. All authority. So I want to ask you an application question. Do you recognize the authority of Jesus in your life? How much authority in your life? All authority. That means that everything we do, 
we should do because of who he is. We, we should do as if he were going to be checking our work. You see, we aren't kids who are left at home until mom and dad get back from work. I think that that's what some people view earth as. They, they say, okay, heaven will be great. Thanks for all those promises of heaven. But God's away for a little while and I'm going to live here like I'm in charge. That is not how it goes. Jesus is still in charge here. And that's in every part of our life. That's at home. That's at work. Uh, Kids, I want to remind you as you go to school that that God has authority even as you're at school. That, That you're not just there to learn things or to be with your friends. You are there to walk with God because he has authority. So every part of our lives, including our free time, and that's for all of us, it's not like we say, okay, I'm going to give uh, you know, 20 hours of my day to God and then I get the other four to do what I want to do. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. You see, if we're sincere about following Jesus, we should recognize his authority in every part of our lives, not just on Sunday morning, not just when we're reading our Bible, but all the time, Jesus is Lord, he has authority. So if he's the Lord of your life, let him be the Lord of every part of your life. And then our final point today is follow. In this passage, we see two very different responses to Jesus. One that I've already mentioned was these teachers of the law. They rejected Jesus. They accused him of blasphemy. But another group of people, as seen in verse 8, when they saw what happened, they were filled with awe and they praised God because of the authority that they had seen. So I hope you know which one is the better response now. But it can be really easy for us to be like those teachers of the law, to assume that we have authority over God, to assume that, that we should be able to live our lives the way that we want to. See, we humans are often tempted to come up with our own ideas of what's right. In fact, I was just thinking about this. We see all around us today people rejecting the authority of Jesus. Think about that. Whether it's in regard to what Jesus said about marriage or about hell or about lust. All over the place we see people living as if Jesus didn't say those things that he said. Living as if he doesn't have authority to speak into our lives. Well, he does have authority to speak into our lives. And I want you to recognize that authority of Jesus and from there to follow him. Now, as we think about following Jesus, I want to just look at the pattern specifically in our passage today where it says that the people praised God. So that they saw the compassion and the authority of Jesus and their response was to praise him. What have you seen God do that is praiseworthy? Let's start with the big one, salvation. Every one of us had a sin penalty that hung over our heads. Jesus took that penalty upon himself so that we could be completely forgiven. So if you're ever wondering what you can praise God for, look to the cross and know that it's salvation for all who believe. And we can keep praising God for that. And from there, we have many, many other things to be thankful for. I want us to be people who are good at seeing God's goodness. Do you want, do you want that? Do you want, do you want to be so in tune with who God is that whenever he does something good for you, which is basically all the time, that you would recognize his goodness? So how, how can we become people like that? How can we become people who, who see God for who he is and who praise him? Well, the simple answer is that a thankful heart is going to be a heart that's ready to see God's goodness. A thankful heart 
is a heart that's ready to see God's goodness. I want us to be thankful people here. I want us constantly, when, when we see that God has done something good for us, that we wouldn't just say, oh, cool, I'm glad that's here, but that we would turn to God and say, God, thank you for what you have done for me. Because as we do that, we, we recognize his goodness. And every time we recognize his goodness, we train ourselves to see his goodness again. Because here's the deal with God's blessings. I think they're all around us, but sometimes they don't look like blessings. Has anybody here ever received a blessing that looked almost like a curse at the beginning? We've probably all been there where something didn't look good, but we've seen in the end how it was God's good plan for us. And I just want us to be better and quicker at recognizing those things about God. I want us to be people who are so grateful and thankful all our lives that we're constantly recognizing God's goodness and we're constantly praising him for who he is. And I love these verses on it from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three things to do there. Be joyful, pray, and give thanks. And, and when are we supposed to do those things? Always. Continually, in all circumstances. And, and by the way, these are commands here. So it, this isn't just saying, hey, if you don't have anything else to do, you might as well be joyful. Or if you can't think of what else to do, you might as well pray. No, this is saying in all that we do, we should live lives where we're constantly in touch with God, constantly giving him thanks, and choosing joy. And I, and I do say choosing joy on purpose because this is a command. We can be joyful even when things are difficult. And then here's one of the really neat parts about this. This is, the, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We talked earlier about we don't always know God's will. Well, guess what? Sometimes we do know. And in fact, at any moment of our lives, we can know that it's God's will, that we would be joyful, that we would pray, and that we would give thanks. So I think that these three verses here, short verses, easy to memorize, is a great pattern for life. And maybe you're like me, and every once in a while you need a kick in the pants to say, hey, things aren't that bad. Okay, Stop throwing yourself a pity party. Uh, be joyful. Even if things aren't the way exactly that you want them to be, we can talk to God about that, and we can give him thanks in all circumstances. Not that we have to thank him for every single thing. Not that we have to thank him for bad things but that in bad things, we can thank him that he's with us and that he will give us everything that we need to get through. So again, these are commands that are to be obeyed. As we follow Jesus, may we be, pe be people who are joyful and who give thanks to him. And I think that as we live that kind of a life, that God will change our hearts. And he'll make us more joyful. So, application here. Is praise a regular part of your life? That was the response here. The people saw what Jesus did and they praised God. Is that a regular habit of your life that you go to God and, and thank Him and praise Him for the good things He's done for you? Let's conclude this sermon now. This passage here that we've looked at today is about the authority of Jesus to forgive sins. He had compassion that compassion led him not just to heal this man, but also to proclaim forgiveness for him. So where do you stand in regard to forgiveness? 
And I want to address two groups of people. The first group is if there's any of you in here who have not yet received forgiveness. You see, the offer of forgiveness is for anyone who would pray to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's for anyone who would come to Jesus and recognize that you're a sinner, that you've done things that are wrong, that have offended God, but that God loves you anyways and he will gladly forgive you. Isn't it great how in this passage Jesus was ready to forgive before he was even asked? They didn't come to Jesus saying, would you please forgive our sins? He was so glad to forgive sins of the people who came to him by faith. And that's for you today. If you've never come by faith to Jesus, asking him to forgive you, giving your life to him to follow him as Savior and Lord, you can do that right now. You can talk to him even in the quietness of your own heart right now. Ask him to forgive you and give your life to him to follow him as Savior and Lord. But then second, for those of us who already know Jesus, where do you stand in regard to forgiveness? Our eternal penalty has already been paid if we're in Christ, we don't need to fear condemnation, but we do need ongoing cleansing. And I like to use the analogy of, of Jesus when he was washing the disciples' feet. Remember, uh, he came to Peter and, and Peter said, hey, wash my whole body. If, if you're going to cleanse us, then wash my whole body. And what did Jesus say to him? In John 13, said, 13, 10, he said, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. So if you have received Jesus, kind of following that analogy, your body has been cleansed. You've received eternal forgiveness. But sometimes our feet get dirty as we walk through this world. Sometimes we choose the wrong path. Sometimes we, we fall into temptation. And, and we need to come back to God for cleansing. And, and how does God view us at that time? Does he say, oh man, I can't believe you did it again. No. Listen to 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That looks to me like a God who is pleased to forgive and to cleanse. So if we've ever recognized that we're in a place where we've sinned, let's go to God right away and ask him to cleanse us. But a huge part of that is that we would be people who are willing to come to God. That we would be those people who are praying continually, talking to God about our sins. So if you ever catch yourself in a sin, go right to God and ask Him to forgive you. And then sometimes, maybe we're caught in a sin and we don't even know it. And that's where I just want to urge you to pray again. To, to talk to God and say, God, is there anything I'm doing that's not right in your eyes? I just listen to what He might say. And if there's anything that you, you notice that's wrong in your heart, don't shy away from God don't say, okay, God, I'll, I'll fix that and I'll come back to you later. Please don't do that one. Go to God right away and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please give me the strength to turn away from that. That's repentance. And God is pleased to forgive. I hope you see that in our passage again today, that God was pleased to forgive. Throughout Matthew 8-9, through 9, he has been very pleased to help. And now when we learn about forgiveness here, Jesus is very willing to forgive. But let's be people who submit to the authority of God in every area of our lives, including especially in the area of sin. And then let's be people who keep praising God as we follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that we can follow Jesus on the path that you have for us. And I pray that we would be people who turn away from sin. So God, we even just ask you right now to show us our sin, that, that we might confess it to you and repent of it, and turn away from it. And God, if there's anyone in here who, 
who has never done that, who has never come to Jesus for forgiveness, we just pray that they would come to know him right now as Savior and Lord, receiving eternal forgiveness. God, we thank you for the, the healing that you give, not just to our bodies, but more importantly to our souls. I pray that we would be people who, in response to your, your greatness, your forgiveness, that, that we would be people who live lives of praise, so help us to be joyful always, to pray continually and to give thanks in all circumstances. God, we pray that you would transform us into thankful, grateful people. We want to live our lives for you to give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.